it's like a, a backpack full of bricks that you need to learn to carry around and it sucks, but there's like little things you can do to maybe make it a little lighter or lift weights and get stronger so it's easier to carry. But it's always going to it's always going to be there. But you'll you'll think of it less and less. It'll bother you less and less. Hi there. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Hecate, and this is Finding Okay, a healing podcast for survivors of sexual assault and any and all abuse. Today, I'm joined by Anna. Anna goes by the name of Spooky Patootie on TikTok and has over 264,000 followers. She uses her platform to share her experiences growing up in a Christian fundamentalist cult. She helps raise awareness about the need for improvement of homeschooling laws, which make it easier for child abuse to continue and go undetected. Anna exited seven years ago with the help of family. She is now deconstructing her experiences and helping others in their healing journey. Trigger and content warnings for this episode include the following. Trauma, abuse, child abuse, sexual assault, rape, religious trauma, cults, chronic illness, medical abuse, depression, suicidal ideation, death, incest, and homophobia. Please check in with yourself and make sure you're all right to continue. Are you okay? Probably to be determined. <laughs> that is a, that's a, a deceptively hard question. It is. That's why I start with it. <laughs> kind of feel like it's what we're all kind of trying to figure out every day. Pretty much. But what is a compliment that you've received that you've never forgotten? Somebody said that they felt safe to be themselves around me. And it was just, oh, that meant so, so much to me, especially at the time when I was trying to, trying to grow and be more accepting and, and be a, a completely different for person from the way I was raised. And then to hear that somebody like a marginalized person felt safe around me. I was like, yes. <laughs> That's so important. That's one of the best compliments you can get. And what is your favorite color and what do you associate with it? So my favorite color is purple and it's kind of sad what I associate it with. Uh, when I was a kid, I had a best friend who was like a crazy purple girl, like one of those girls where, where everything has to be purple. Like everything she owned had to be purple. Uh, but I liked pink at the time. And so we would constantly fight about which, well, like pretend fight about which was the better color. And I was, when I was 13, she died in a car accident. Mm. And so from then on, I was like, well, I guess my favorite color is purple now. <laughs> it's kind of a, it's, it's a sad thing to think about, but out of, out of her memory, my favorite color must always be purple. <laughs> what kind of purple is it? Is it like a deep purple or like a lavender or like? She definitely loved like all purple. Uh, I want to say like royal purple, like a bright purple was kind of the most common uh, but she would be happy with any kind of purple. <laughs> That's awesome. 
That's beautiful too. Yeah, I'm sorry she passed though. That's rough. It was. <laughs> I talk about like so many aspects of like my life and stuff that's happened to me and I don't talk about that. There's actually a lot I don't talk about, which is like how can there be so much? <laughs> but it's, yeah. It's kind of crazy how full our lives become. I was taking a walk today and and had a an interaction with somebody that um kind of made me think the same thing just just the things that we don't discuss that are very much a part of our lives because they they said something to me that I would never have known if if they hadn't said it but um but yeah just uh just how how many people come and go in our lives and make us who we are and become a part of our story and uh and a part of are a part of who we are with other people even though they may never know that particular story or that particular person or what they meant to us and and yet like we we all like live through live on through each other in interesting ways and really beautiful ways too i i love your story about purple and that person and the way that that someone's living on through you as a color is really beautiful and special Aww. I can't help but think about what her room must have looked like if she were like the the purple girl. Like, <laughs> well, she shared a room with her sister, so they had to compromise. <laughs> oh. If I had to summon you in a ritual, what five things would I need to place at each point of the pentacle on the floor? First, we've got uh, a cat, could be any cat, but probably, preferably like one of my own cats. I would definitely come if it was one of my own cats. Um, butter pecan ice cream, that that is necessary for, you know, life. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see, what else? Oh, uh, like a sexy outfit of some sort that uh, hopefully involves like some leather that that's pretty necessary a sewing machine preferably again if someone can track down an old sewing machine that i once had and would very much like back uh, i would definitely come <laughs> what someone, kind of sewing machine was it it was a fof that my oh. grandma gave to our family but it like it was in my bedroom and i was the only one who ever used it and so i considered it mine uh but then when i left home my mother said that i could not have it so now now it is gone and i don't know where it is she may still have it or she may have donated it somewhere i don't know but i'm still sad i don't have that sewing machine <laughs> mm-hmm. oh and also a a rainbow pride flag <laughs> yes yes <laughs> what are three essentials to your self care so when I started making this list, uh, my first two were also cats and ice cream. And I'm like, darn, I can't be that uh, repetitive. <laughs> if it's so, true, it's true. <laughs> well, I'm going to leave ice cream on there because that one is true. Um, ice cream and long baths and weed. <laughs> yes. Preferably all together. <laughs> yes. I don't know if that is true self-care or if that is just escapism, um, but it still feels essential either way. (laughs) I think escapism gets a bad rap sometimes. I think sometimes it's important. 
truth be told. <laughs> it's just about finding a balance, I suppose. Yeah. And like, I, I mean, for me, it's, it's like, I'll, I'll, I'll check in with myself and like at a certain point with what I'm doing. And I'm like, has this become a form of kind of unhealthy? Like, is it unhealthy at this point? Sometimes the answer is just no. Like sometimes the answer is like, I need to check out for a bit. I'll be back whenever I'm back. And I think that's okay considering the world we live in and how overwhelming uh, it really is and how exhausting being neurodivergent in this world is. No, I feel that. (laughs) Is it okay to just kind of start by asking you like, who are you and how did you grow up? Yeah, of course. Uh, It's a little hard to sum up. Um, My name is Anna. Uh, I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian family. I had six siblings. My parents had some pretty intense uh, religious beliefs, kind of above and beyond even your average conservative Christian. Um, We never went to school. Uh, School was seen as a, a way for like the government to indoctrinate you with false teachings like evolution. So we were legally, we were homeschooled, but our schooling was more or less neglected. So that sums up a lot of things. <laughs> I could go into more detail about like uh, the, the length of dresses that we had to wear or how we weren't allowed to cut our hair or, or whatever. There's a lot of little things that kind of add up to the whole like fundamentalist picture, but the whole uh, school will indoctrinate you, uh, therefore you can't go. That That's kind of, that says a lot right there. Yeah, it does. I do call it a cult now. I definitely, you know, definitely didn't see it at the time or even when I was getting out I thought that it was just my family and specifically my mother I thought that they were really like restrictive or even like mean uh it took me a while before I could even like use the word abusive but then after when I was about 19 I found all these stories on the internet from people who had the same story as me and they wrote about the teachings that influenced their parents to raise them in that way. And they were the same books and authors that we had on our bookshelf. And I realized that it wasn't just like one isolated, kooky family. This was a kind of larger movement. And that there were lots of us all across the country whose families like bought into this perspective and and way of being a family and in some places there are enough of them that they were able to form churches and then and then it gets even more restrictive and culty because there's directly like someone there telling you what to do we went to pretty mainstream churches so we were actually more extreme than the churches that we went to so we were kind of disconnected from the whole in a way because there weren't very many like fundamentalists in the state I grew up in, which is Utah. There's fundamentalist Mormons, uh, but fundamentalist Christians are a little harder to find. Uh, So we somehow grew up like within a cult. We grew up within a system of cult teachings while being somewhat disconnected from the cult itself. So it's a little, it's a little confusing or complicated at least. Does the branch of teachings like have a name? 
Yes, and there's there's several names it could go by, but quiverful is kind of the the most useful term. But even under quiverful, there's different authors and such that have kind of built up the the theology to where it is today. I usually tell people to think of the Duggar family from 19 Kids and Counting, even though we only had seven kids, so very small comparatively, but we still, everything you kind of see on TV about their beliefs, even though their beliefs are very uh, kind of sanitized for TV, you don't get to see the darker stuff, but even the the stuff that they do show that's like, oh, that's weird, uh, like all the courtship rituals and such. I'm like, yeah, that was that was my family. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of similarity there. I never I never watched it, so I have been learning a lot from from watching your your TikToks and roaming around TikTok, hearing from other people who have exited Christian fundamentalist upbringings, and it's 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 a completely different world to me. I was not raised with with any religion. It's kind of on purpose that we're a that we're a completely different world. That's kind of the goal is <laughs> is isolation and and separation and kind of breeding your way to like take over and like take back the country. That's kind of the goal. If you if your group and your religion has more kids than the other religion, then you win is basically the thought. And so in that way, it's also really heavily tied with politics because you're not only like breeding Christians, uh, they're also like ultra conservative Christians who are raised to vote a certain way. When I was growing up, literally like being a Democrat was synonymous with like going to hell. Like (laughs) I would pray every night for my own grandparents, not just because they weren't Christians, but because they were Democrats. And oh so they were gosh. so they were sure to go to hell and so I had to pray for them to be saved and that's that's what I did every night from like as far back as I can remember. <laughs> that's so intense. Yep. <laughs> intense is kind of a kind of an understatement, but like while you're in it, you don't realize that it's strange because it's all that you know. You think yeah. that it's normal, especially because another part of it is restricting the media that you have access to. So if you never see mainstream media, then you don't know that the way you're living is strange. If you're only a lot of the books, television, I mean, we we were barely allowed to watch TV at all. But when we did, it was very religious programming the music that we could listen to had to be religious in nature movies that we watched had to be and not just a little religious like it had to be like extremely conservative christianity had to be in all of our media even a lot of most of the books that we read a lot of them were from mennonite publishers or I just learned recently a lot of it was, or some book series were Seventh Day Adventist, and I didn't even know that at the time. I, I don't even know what that is. Oh, <laughs> I I I barely know what I've know what I've been learning has been mostly on TikTok because uh, I'll mention a certain a certain like oh I grew up with this book and someone will comment and be like that's the Seventh Day Adventist series like did you were you Seventh-day Adventist and I'll be like no I didn't know so I they're another 
another church that has a restrictive and culty vibes. At least that's what I've heard from people who have commented, but I don't want to, I know little enough about it that I, I probably shouldn't say more, but a lot of our books were from very conservative Christian publishers, Mennonite publishers. A lot of them were about like missionaries and martyrs and just, yeah, that was all part of the kind of isolation and keeping you thinking that that your life is the the only way to live the best way to live uh, because your options are limited we would literally have there were books that we couldn't read because the characters in the books attended school and so if we read too much too many books with school involved we might start asking questions about school we might want to go to school And so that option was just like not on the table. I think there is, I don't, don't necessarily want to give all homeschooling a bad name because there's definitely great ways to homeschool and, and kids who do best in homeschooling and all of that. Um, But even, even people who homeschool for the right reasons usually know the people who homeschool for the wrong reasons because there's a, there were a lot of us. There were a lot of us. Uh, and when your goal is to keep keep your kids isolated from the world and indoctrinate them with your own religious views, that's a that's a big old problem. Yeah, that had never fully connected for me until I started watching the videos that you were making. But it it makes uh, I mean it's really dark, but it makes perfect sense. Like if you are an abusive parent and you are going to try to get away with it, homeschooling is one of the best ways because if your child attends school, that's where a lot of child abuse is usually detected. Like that's where they're going to notice something like malnourishment or marks on your child or them saying strange things or things like that. And so you, you know, remove your child from an environment where everyone is required to report and all of a sudden other children or other adults like don't even have access or don't even see your child. There you go. Yeah. We were, we weren't allowed to go outside like during school hours. So we wouldn't like look suspicious to neighbors, even though homeschooling in Utah is completely legal. It's completely legal all over the country, but we were still paranoid that we were doing something wrong because that's, that's another part of the cult is kind of a a persecution complex that like the world is out to get you. We were coached on what to say if child protective services ever came and they did come. I mean, the rules, again, I don't know all the laws and and regulations regarding child protective services. But if, from what I do know, at least in the state of Utah, if they come to the door on a call and they don't see like an egregiously bad environment, like, oh, the house like looks decent. Nobody's like trying to murder someone else in the background. And the parent says, oh no, you can't talk to my kids. You have to go away now. Uh, That's what they do. (laughs) They don't have, they don't have the right to like forcibly, interview a child but even if they did we were still coached on what to say and the one time that I did do an interview with child protective services I just lied (laughs) so I have a little bit of shared experience with lying 
or masking truth with CPS. Not at all the same situation or the same like household thing. But um, yeah, I until I started watching your videos, I had completely just like lost that memory. Oh <laughs> Got no! That one back. Oh no! <laughs> I have a feeling I've done that a lot. People be like, I forgot about this thing. I'm like, well, I I hope it's a good thing that you remembered it. Otherwise, I feel kind of bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's good. We're we're all regaining our our own shit, and uh, and you know, like uh, we were we were talking about that a little bit on the tech call. Is is uh, you know, once you're you're in a healthier space. And, uh, you know, your, your body and your mind knows that you're safe. You start to have access to these things that you had blocked out because you just couldn't handle them before. And it's like, yay. Yep. So glad I get this back. I have to process this. <laughs> Lovely. But yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like a super horrible, like, it's okay. I like that memory is we're good. We're all good. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. <laughs> oh, um, oh. Before I forget, I do because because we're talking about homeschooling, and this is something I'm very passionate about. Just like letting people know, because most people don't ever think about homeschooling and what the laws are around homeschooling, and uh, they're not great <laughs> in in the U.S. Um, the a lot of states have hardly any regulation around homeschooling. Uh, I believe eleven states have no regulation at all, so you can just take your kid out of school. And and that's it. You don't have to do anything else. There are no requirements to to educate them. No curriculum. Nobody's ever going to check up on them. The state where I grew up in, there was one requirement, and that was that your local school district had to know that you were homeschooling your kid. So you had to send them in a letter being like, okay, my kids are being homeschooled this year. And that's the only requirement. Again, no curriculum, no requirements, no testing. Nobody's ever going to check up on your kid. You don't have to make a portfolio. There's there's nothing. <laughs> and so and these laws are kept in place by I mean, there is a, a fundamentalist Christian organization called the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, or HSLDA, and I I'm not an expert on everything they they do, but they lobby for these lack of laws to stay in place. And then the cycle kind of <laughs> feeds itself as more kids grow up this way and the kids that stay grow up and then work for these groups that then keep these laws in place. And it's just one big cycle of yikes. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> and I never knew any of that until I started watching your videos. I I like that blew me away. It is hard because every state is different. There aren't federal laws as far as I know. It's just it's up to mm-hmm. the states to create their own laws and if the state a state doesn't have laws then uh yeah. then they don't have laws. <laughs> and it, the the maps that you had in your video like just blew my mind. Oh, and those are all from the Coalition for Responsible Home Education website. Okay. So those wow. those can be easily found and they're just color coded of what states have what laws. The number of states that require homeschool parents to have a high school diploma or equivalent uh shockingly small. Shockingly small. <laughs> Growing up I I knew that 
other kids were homeschooled, that this was something that happens sometimes. And especially because like I live in an area where there are extremely high rates of uh, of Lyme disease. So sometimes there were kids that would be pulled out of school because they were too disabled from various like tick-borne illnesses to continue with, with a public education. They couldn't attend. And sometimes they would start homeschooling. And so like that was... I was aware that it happened with some kids and the way my parents taught me about it was they're doing the same work that you are. They're just doing it at home. Their parents teach them and their parents have all these books that they get from like, you know, like the board of education or like from various like resources. And, you know, like I had that they they take tests just like you that are given to them by the state. Like, completely different idea of what was happening and totally incorrect. (laughs) Totally incorrect. I mean, and some people for sure homeschool that way and like, and more power to them. I don't want to say that, again, all homeschooling is bad because people seem to get that impression uh, sometimes when I talk about homeschooling. I'm like, no, no, it just should be maybe a tiny bit harder for people to abuse their kids. And utilize homeschooling to do so. Yes. <laughs> That's literally all I'm saying. Let's make it like a little. And the the good homeschool parents don't don't mind having a few extra hoops to jump through to ensure that, you know, the kid next door has a good education. Like we yeah. should we should be caring about each other as well. Like it's wonderful if you take care of your own kid well but like let's let's help let's help the kid next door a little bit okay (sighs) yeah and that's that's all i'm trying to kind of get across to people that was really well said people sometimes ask me like what was school like in your family and i'm i can't i don't have like a concept of like a school day a school year grades we were basically just kind of taught to read and then encouraged to read various books the the, are like actual textbooks were very few and far between and even when we did have textbooks they were basically religious propaganda and were not were not correct uh i did i did biology in high school technically and uh, my biology textbook included things like uh that evolution is fake and climate change is fake so i basically can't trust anything that was in that book and had to start from scratch um But then there was also just wide swaths of of education that we just didn't receive. Hardly, not much history to speak of. I never learned any chemistry, like, whatsoever. Um, (laughs) uh, We were all behind in math, because math is a very hard thing to teach yourself. We were basically expected to teach ourselves and then teach our younger siblings whatever we know. Because in these kinds of families, the when you have this that many kids uh the old the older kids just raise the younger kids and that's how it goes so i first became like a a teacher of kids when i was 11 i would literally sit them down and try to like have school or what my idea of school was and that did not last very long because i had like literally a nervous breakdown <laughs> at the age of 11 and that's i also rough. I found a a certificate that I somehow kept all these years from my sister, my older sister, that was like, congrats on your on your like math assignment on completing all the problems. And she signed it your teacher. 
and then her name. And then I looked at the date and realized that she was 10 years old when she made me this certificate. I'm just like, what my literal, like my teacher was 10. <laughs> that's not, that's not how, it's uh, not how education is supposed to work. <laughs> It's not, but I can't like that's like really dark on one hand and then also really sweet on another. Hand. Oh yeah. I, like I don't know. Oh yeah. She even had like rewards for me. It said like you want a gel pen and she spelled gel pen wrong. Like <laughs> it was it is it is truly adorable. Which is my heart. And I try I try to tell these stories with like some with a sense of humor, because some of them are are quite funny like it's it's kind of funny to think of like a 10 year old like making a certificate for her little sister but it just gets it gets sad when you realize that that's the only education the the little sister is getting and I did the same thing I made little like origami like trophies for my like sibling students to be like you have accomplished a thing here you go have my paper creation (laughs) That's kind of awesome. I wish I had gotten an origami trophy, but I mean, yeah, I also everything does have that dark underside, though. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I also made a an origami hat that said the bad hat and made them wear it uh, if they misbehaved. So, uh, <laughs> I'm curious, when did you start to suspect or realize that your family life or the way that you were being raised was uh, either not normal or unhealthy? Ooh, that is that is a big old question because it happened so slowly. There wasn't like an aha moment necessarily. Um, I think it mostly came about through the internet. So thank goodness for the internet and that we had access to the internet, which actually, in a way, we were very fortunate because I know other fundamentalists who did who did not grow up with the internet so again it's also a long story how I even had access to the internet because our computer time was very closely monitored on each computer was like monitoring software that sent a list of every website that was visited to my mom's email inbox so she could see everywhere that we had gone I think in the like kind of family computer room there was like literally a mirror so she could look in the mirror from her desk and see the the computer screen that we would be on so there was no there was no like hiding your activity but I was a little different because and this is again oh very long story but I was uh the sick child and I basically was bedridden for like a few years actually most of my teenage years I was either in bed or would just be in a chair and since I was I got special privileges because I was the sick child and one of those was having a laptop and I still had the monitoring software on it but I had more freedom than my siblings did to kind of be on the internet and explore it's hard again so so many aspects I was actually not sick. There was nothing like physically wrong with me, but I went to a lot of doctors because my mom did not understand 
mental illness or how the environment she had created would lead to mental illness. Uh, and so she thought I must have a brain tumor or a heart defect or all these. Every couple weeks, there would be a, some new illness that I would have to go get tested for. I thought I had those too at the time because I couldn't understand why I couldn't function. I knew that I like didn't want to be alive anymore but I didn't understand that that was depression. Uh, And in hindsight, I can see that I was just so depressed that I gave up on living. And I was also very malnourished. And so, and then just didn't ever get out of bed. So no exercise, no sunlight, all of those, the combination of all of those things will lead you to uh, have a whole lot of genuine symptoms. Like I would have headaches all day, every day, which was why like, the thought was, oh, she must have a, a tumor or something. And then when that was ruled out, it was like, well, she must have migraines because you can't, it's hard to test for that. And so you don't know. So let's just try this migraine medication. And then the migraine medication would make me really sick. And so we'd have to try a different migraine medication. Uh, I was on a migraine medication that they had to give me through a pick line in a hospital. Oh, those are a doozy. And I didn't need it. I didn't need any of it. It's so awful to look back in hindsight. And uh, and that was another thing that maybe could have been helped if I had, I mean, just be going to school would have given me a reason to get out of bed. So that, that could have been different right there. Uh, but since I had no school, I had nowhere to go. I would just lay in bed day after day after day after day. And then maybe somebody would have noticed like, oh, you're looking a little maybe skeletal, like my skin was yellow because I never saw the sunlight. Like yeah. there were so many signs and and I was going to church through a lot of this, but even people at church didn't notice or or didn't know any better because they were all told that I was sick. And so they would pray for me and give my mom a lot of attention for being like the mother of the sick kid like oh how is Anna today I see she's not in church is her are her headaches really bad and that's why after the fact I kind of figured out that there was probably an element of Munchausen by proxy going on that while I did have like genuine symptoms that it was kind of a, a cycle and that my mom got a lot of attention and kind of purpose out of being like the mother of a sick child. Yeah. And that's, that's another thing I don't talk about either. Actually, I think I made one video about it, but after that, I'm like, I don't even know how to, how to, how do you talk about that? (laughs) It's, It's, I, I've seen other people on TikTok starting to talk about it too. Like, I think that's like another branch of TikTok that's still kind of still like, it is a very unique kind of abuse and such a strange and alienating situation to be in as a child. Like, thank you so much for talking about it because I think it is really difficult for people to talk about. And I think it's really important for, uh, for people who have experienced that to, to find each other and to feel less alone with that. Uh, It's just, again, it's hard because I, I try to be like somewhat humorous or upbeat because you can find humor in a lot of things, but I can't find any humor in that like at all. Maybe that's why I don't talk about it because I can't, I can't make it, I can't make it anything but utterly depressing. 
<sighs> well, I think I think humor comes later with this stuff. Like when you when you pull it out and you're unpacking it, it's just raw and painful uh, at first, and uh, and then sometimes like o- over time as as you process it, maybe then the humor comes. Maybe. And this was all all triggered by my best friend dying when I was 13 because that happened. And then that's when I just like went to bed and didn't get up. So it should have been obvious that like this is depression and, and grief and everything. Yeah. And maybe it was to some extent, but I didn't get help in that arena. Therapy was off the table. I went to a Christian counselor for a chunk of time. Um, but mm. it can only do so much good when uh, your counselor already has preconceived ideas and notions because she's your mom's friend. <laughs> oh. Oh. I even wanted to like spend time with my friend's family so I could be around people who were also grieving. And like that didn't happen because my mom was too busy to like drive me to see them or whatever. Like, and that's all. See, there's so many pieces of, of the puzzle that kind of add up to this awful situation because that, yeah. The, another reason my mom was so busy was because of, uh, because of the other thing I don't talk about. Um, uh, there was, maybe I can say it vaguely, there was uh, sexual abuse occurring between my siblings. And she was trying to cover it up. But she had told a pastor, and that pastor had told Child Protective Services. Um, so thank goodness for that pastor. Because my siblings got therapy, and the one sibling the perpetrator was put in foster care for a chunk of time and so that kind of absorbed everyone's focus and so I was able to just melt into my bed and cease existing until I was in such poor health that it became like oh must be a brain tumor (laughs) wow I'm glad that that situation with the siblings was at least addressed (laughs) Yeah, me too. And it was even hidden from me at the time. So I didn't know what was going on. Oh, okay. I only knew about it. Like, I knew vaguely, like, this sibling's in trouble or, like, this sibling won't be living with us anymore. But that's all I knew. I didn't know. I didn't know any details until I was basically grown and my my siblings and I were able to kind of talk more freely. Um, So all I knew was, like, oh, I am, like in like the most immense pain of my like little child life and nobody cares. <laughs> this is why I don't talk about it on TikTok cuz it's so sad. <laughs> well, it's it's a lot to unpack and it's very heavy. How did how did you find your way out of that? Uh, that's another thing that's hard to say and again it there was no like aha moment. It just happened very slowly. Because again, I kind of progressed from being just like completely bedridden to like, I would still stay in my room, but I would sit up in a chair. And that was an improvement. Like I was so, I was doing so poorly that like I could barely bathe myself. So like showering became like an accomplishment. So like 
the better I got, the more regularly I could shower. I could actually brush my hair again. A lot of my hair fell out. So like when it started kind of growing back, that was like a positive thing. It just, it happened, it happened very slowly and incrementally. And another, another puzzle piece that strangely like doesn't fit, but, but still does. Um, This whole time that I was a teenager, we were doing Christian speech and debate competitively. Like we would go to tournaments as a family and and give speeches to like our friends' parents who would like who would judge us and we would get trophies and you know I mean that's a, actually a pretty normal thing for teenagers to do if they have that interest in school but the whole the fact that the environment it was usually at a church and that it was only Christian homeschoolers made it a a really wacky environment <laughs> and so even when I was like could barely get out of a chair, I would still, I would be writing speeches from my laptop in my chair. And then I would go to these tournaments and just be completely exhausted, but like somehow managed to have enough adrenaline to like get me through the day. And then I'd feel this like huge sense of accomplishment because I was actually really good at public speaking. And then I would go home and then it would just be like, back to bed I go. <laughs> so there was this kind of a disconnect of like always being sick and always being in bed, but like five times a year we would like travel to these tournaments and I would be like a star. <laughs> cuz I would be cuz I was pretty great at it and I would feel accomplished and get to get to meet people and feel sociable and then it was back home and back to bed again. So <laughs> and that doesn't seem to fit with being like, oh, I was bedridden for years. Oh, but I managed to like travel to many states and uh, do competitive speech. Like those things don't seem to go together, but they did. My sister was chronically ill for, uh, I think, over a decade. And she was incredibly sick. She could barely go to school. And uh, and at one point, they encouraged her to drop out, um, which it turns out is illegal. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to give accommodations to disabled children. That was their responsibility. (laughs) So we found that out and came back with lawyers. But but anyway, um, she was extremely sick and also a championship Irish dancer, which meant that having an invisible disability and being chronically ill and almost like almost bedridden most of the time and then every so often would like gather her spoons i don't know if you're familiar with spoon theory yes, but yes. yeah she would gather her spoons and she would put it into irish dancing and uh and win awards and that meant that everyone would be like so you're not really sick and it was like oh yeah. no i might be dying but I do this one thing, like I like I can't do all this stupid fucking homework that you want from me. I have one thing that I that brings me joy and that I'm passionate about, and I'm gonna do that fucking thing. <laughs> and so it was like this every so often. I think that's important, and I think that like you know what whatever kind of ailment you have, uh, I think those things are important, and um, and doesn't 
discredit the experience of um, of not being well, whatever form that may take. And I hate it when when people like cast doubt on the experience that you're having because you have some joy in your life or some kind of accomplishments. <laughs> uh, sorry, that just like <laughs> no, you, you were get talking it. about I'm... that, and I was like, oh my god, that thing that happened. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm so uh-huh. I'm so glad to talk to someone who understands it like so exactly that's exactly what it was like like yes you gather your spoons and do the one thing that brings you joy and that was another way that I kind of got out of that kind of fundamentalist mindset because even though the people I was meeting were also conservative Christian homeschoolers and in their own little bubbles a lot of them were in a more lenient bubble than I was Uh, like they would wear pants (laughs) and so that that helped me get out of of my bubble a little bit um but it was mostly the internet (laughs) how did you exit and what made it possible for you the exiting mentally is maybe a little more complicated how i managed it physically is more straightforward oh another facet of like getting out mentally was realizing i was queer which I want to say happened around like 17-ish. I was like considering it, like not sure. And I I was like, well, if my religion teaches me that, that this is evil and bad, then I shouldn't have that religion anymore. <laughs> uh, and I was already having doubts, uh, mostly because I was so sick and so miserable and I would pray all the time that like, God would heal me. And I never got a magical healing. Like elders from church came over and like laid hands on me and like put oil on me and like expected me to jump up and have like a miraculous recovery. And I didn't. And that literally made me not like start to disbelieve in the existence of God, or at least a God who wished uh, to help me because I was stuck in my miserable situation. I was stuck in my like frail body and the only person who could pull me out of that and who eventually did pull me out of that was me (laughs) that's so an extremely powerful realization to have when i realized that i didn't have to credit god for the good or the bad things and i could give myself credit for all the good things that was really that was really powerful and amazing Like, I don't have to say, like, thank you, Jesus, for providing me for this opportunity. I'm like, no, I I got that opportunity. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> you were asking how, how I got out. So I turned I turned 18 and I still felt horrible, still felt super depressed. And now I knew that like the environment around me was bad and I should leave and be on my own and kind of reject the way I grew up and like figure out what the world was all about. But I didn't know how to practically do that because part of the quiverful fundamentalist movement is that uh, women are supposed to be homemakers and wives and mothers and that's it. So you are not taught how to find a place to live, find a job. I was barely educated at all. I did have a driver's license, which I consider myself lucky. Some fundies don't even let their girls learn to drive. And in our family, you got to learn how to drive if you were good enough. 
so if you were a if you were a rebel quote unquote you didn't get to learn how to drive so uh, my older sister got well this is another tangent but my older sister got kicked out at 17 with no driver's license hardly any education no money no transportation no 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 nothing so i'm i'm even in a more fortunate position than she was and i then i we weren't allowed to talk to her either because she was the evil bad child and so i didn't we i didn't talk to her for five years after that so again i'm 18 miserable trying to figure out how to leave have no resources to do so uh, a family from the church we went to, because we didn't go, we went to an evangelical church, which can be its own brand of crazy, but not quite our brand. And so there were fairly normal people who went to church there. And someone there took a, a liking to me and could see that I was kind of in need and was on good terms with my mom and was like, oh, hey, how about Anna comes over and comes over and does work for me? And she can like stay at our house for a couple days every week because I need her help with like with this and this and this around the house. And it would be really handy. And since my mom liked this woman, she was like, that that's good. Go, go ahead. And it became basically that I started living with this other family because I just went home less and less. And this was at the same again, so complicated. This was at the same time that my because my parents divorced when I was 12 and there had never been much of a custody battle but this was at the time when my siblings were fighting to leave my mom and for dad to get custody and so uh that was all kind of happening while I'm mostly living at this other family's house and so I'm not really involved in any of that um but I knew it was too late for me anyway it wasn't because I was 18 um so the custody wasn't going to impact me much who who had custody. So living with this other family really got my mindset out of things because even though they were, you know, good Christians, uh, they, you know, drank wine sometimes and like had cigars and like wore tank tops and said shit occasionally. Like <laughs> they were just a whole, whole different brand of people, again, brand of people, a whole different kind of like Christian than I had ever met and I mean, I had met them previously, but I hadn't lived in their home and seen the way they lived and everything like that, known them so intimately. And so that really made me realize that like everything I grew up with, not only is it awful and abusive, it's it's not even it's not even mainstream Christianity. <laughs> it's its own. And this was the same time that I was reading these stories on the internet of people who grew up like I did. And I started to just kind of put all the pieces together. And then I knew I needed to, my education needed help. Uh, and another homeschool mom, actually my, my dead friend's mom, that's who it was, who we stayed in contact and we still stay in contact to this day, actually. Um, she gave me a GED study book and was like, here, get your GED. You can do it. And then I told my mom, I was like, I'm going to get my GED. And she's like, no, you should not do that. You should move back in with me and you should finish high school. We had already made up a like a transcript that was entirely, you know, fake garbage. Uh, <laughs> I had a credit for, for medical studies. And that was because I spent time in the hospital. <laughs> That's not what medical studies are. Um, 
And so she laid out this like curriculum or whatever requirements. She's like, you do this math book and like this history book and and I'll write you up a diploma and you, you can graduate. And I, then I realized I would just be living in her house until I was 20 doing this like bullshit religious propaganda work all for a diploma that would benefit me not at all because it was it would be literally something she typed up on the computer like would that get me into a college or do anything for me in life probably not and so that was my uh, my rebellious act was to get my GED and so I I studied and everything kind of behind her back and she eventually kind of accepted that I was going to get my GED and so she but she wanted me to move back in with her and like stay under her control and uh, she she bribed me with college and she actually did that successfully she was like I will pay for you to go to community college if you live with me and oh. so I moved back from the friend's house to my mom's house. I, I kind of wish it had been more of a clean break, but that's how it went. So I moved back in and I went to community college for one semester and I started taking like fashion classes because I knew how to sew very well because that's something you learn when you're a woman in a cult. You know how to sew really well. <laughs> uh, and it was something that didn't intimidate me because I'm like, I can, if I take like, a college math class, I'm going to like utterly fail. If I take a, any science class, any history class, I'm not going to know anything that's going on. But I, I know what's going on in a sewing class. So, so that's what I'm going to do. Uh, and then after, and then again, that one semester of college is more, even more broadening of my mind and meeting new people that are completely different than me and realizing that even that Things about even though I, I was trying to dress more like normally and I was like, I want to look normal, even the way I spoke like gave it away because I literally I read so many old books that I spoke in like large words that like people didn't understand. It was it was like everything about me kind of gave it away that I didn't didn't know how to exist in society. And then after that semester I was like, I can't, I can't live here anymore. I can't do this anymore. I can't, this is not happening. And my older sister, the one who had gotten kicked out at 17, bought me a plane ticket to leave and go to her house across the country. Oh, wow. And then that's what I did. And that's the the last time I ever spoke to my mother was when I was 19. and was like, I'm off to the airport. And I had two suitcases and, and that was it. And I was gone. And then I don't know if you want to hear about all the, the practicalities of starting life, but it, it was still really anxious for me being with my sister because I didn't want to just rely on her. And I knew I had to get a job and I knew I had to do this and that. And I actually ended up after six, I spent six weeks with her and then I actually moved back to Utah because it was, again, kind of less intimidating for me than starting over in a brand new state. And I was like, I'm going to go back to school because I did one semester of school and I know it and I'm familiar with it and I want to keep going. And I found a place to live on Craigslist with four roommates, um, you know, complete strangers like you do. Um, I found a job in a in a kitchen because I was like, my, I, my only skills are cooking and sewing. Those are my only skills. But people always are hiring like entry level cooks and such. Or at least that's that's what I found when I started looking for jobs. And so I got a job cooking in a in a place that made 
pretty much exclusively food for Mormon wedding receptions. So that was interesting. It was I was technically working for the Mormon church. <laughs> um, maybe my uh, my still somewhat like culty demeanor helped me get that job because I I I was a very like I don't know demure and easy and like eager to please and yeah from from there I just kind of went and uh whenever I ran up against a, a hurdle that I didn't know didn't know how to like do the thing I would just google it or ask my older sisters Oh, oh, the questions that I that I have asked Google. <laughs> <laughs> was there a moment of culture shock, like after exiting that stands out to you specifically? Or I know I've like asked you this in the live chat before. And I wonder I wanted to ask again in case like you thought of anything. I don't know if I thought of anything really specific because it was like every even seeing like even the little things of like seeing a uh, a good Christian woman like swear like that was culture shock like it didn't even have to be very uh, a large disparity for for it to feel like culture shock. I did go. I want to say a couple months after I got my job, I'm my first job. I met uh one of my coworkers in the course of a conversation that we were having, I learned that she was in the BDSM community and I expressed interest in that. And then she took me literally the same day to uh, a munch, which is where you just, where you just meet up in public and talk. There's like, no, it's not like a party or anything intimidating. It's just like meet up with kinky people at IHOP. And so, and I was all about the people that I met there. I was like, these people all look so cool. Like they seem so cool. They're so friendly. And so I was like, this is the place for me. And I think I went to like my first BDSM party like three weeks later. So talk about culture shock. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> I did. Actually, I wanted to ask, how was the BDSM community like healing for you? Oh, and a I mean, for one, it was just like instant community, like the kind of thing that you get when you go to a church, like your new people greet you. It, it Now that I've been in it long enough, I can see, you know, there's drama and there's like, there's problems with leadership and all this, like there it's, it's messy, just like every community. But at the time I was like, this is heaven. This also can can lead to being in a vulnerable position but when you are young and thin and feminine looking you're gonna get a lot of attention because you're basically the new the new shiny thing um (laughs) but I was pretty good about boundaries especially since I had come out as like very gay I was like I am a lesbian and so any unwanted attention that I got from dudes they they tended to be very polite because I'd be like I am gay I am interested in like your flogger, but nothing else. And they would be like, okay, that is fine. Uh, and then we would just do, because I didn't even get into very many like sexual things because I wasn't comfortable with that. I mostly did like sadomasochistic play for years, actually. That was kind of, and that, and that was very healing for me. It was, I don't know, in, in, in more ways than I probably could even realize there was the community there was the the kink itself which can be 
very cathartic because you can you can yell and cry and just like feel intense emotions in a space where it's very safe and acceptable that you do so. You can connect with other humans physically in a way that isn't scary. It's not like it doesn't feel the same as like hooking up with someone. There's not the same kind of expectations or like anxiety. And there's always the expectation that you're going to have constant communication and you can withdraw your consent anytime. Like it's literally the opposite of purity culture that I grew up with where I was not told anything about my body, even about puberty. I didn't know that puberty was going to happen. It just happened. I was told nothing except that I shouldn't ever touch anybody or even catch feelings for anybody unless we were courting and our parents approved of our courtship and we were planning on being married. And even then we shouldn't kiss until we were literally married. That was the expectation that I grew up with, with how I would have relationships. And so to be in a space where you could be completely naked and nobody around you is actually freaking out about it because it's not actually true that uh, that men are just beasts and can't control themselves and will think all the naughty thoughts if they can see your shoulders. <laughs> like these men I was these men that I was meeting were the exact opposite of what I was told that men are. And I'm sure they were glancing and, and approving or whatever, but nobody, nobody was being creepy or aggressive to me. Nobody cared. Like it was because everyone else was naked too, like, or clothed if they wanted to be like, it was, it was literally like you do whatever you are comfortable with and you get a say like in that community, people ask before they like hug you. Which is which is amazing, like the level of of consent oh, that's, that's just awesome. the level of consent that is the norm, which again is the opposite of what even though I was told nothing, the kind of the feeling that I got about sex, which was mostly from the Bible, which is the worst, the worst sex ed you could possibly get. I wanted to to ask about it, yeah. <laughs> The, absolutely the worst. So I got nothing, but I read the Bible diligently because that I was required to do that every day. And there's a there's a lot of sex in the Bible, but unfortunately, it's all rape. Like every bit of it. Like women never consent to anything. I think even when now now I'm thinking there's the uh, the story of like Lot and his daughters. I suppose the daughters had agency there, but there's still rape. It's just they're raping their father instead of the other way around for a change. Like there's, <laughs> I don't know if you know that story. It's bonkers. But, I, um, I've never read the. I've only ever read the New Testament when I was in Ireland because it was in the drawer uh, in the in the B and B, and I've never <laughs> gotten through the Old Testament. So like. Everything you're saying to me is is like new information, and I'm just like, oh my! Oh. <laughs> I know a few stories, but <laughs> there's a there's a very odd story where a man and his daughters have like they fled they fled Sodom and Gomorrah. You're probably familiar with that that story, or it, maybe the name of it. Oh yeah, a little bit. Is this is this does someone get turned into salt? Yes, they're that- they're the mother of the family gets turned into salt as they're running okay. away. Um, and so they're, yes, because they were instructed to not look back on the city and she does. 
okay. but they're in a cave and they're just like surviving because they're the city they were in is destroyed and you're out in the middle of nowhere and the the girls are like let's we're all alone and where can we find husbands there's no people here we should have kids and they like get their dad drunk and sleep with him so that they can have kids <laughs> and this is in Somehow a in a book that, that part was... has always been skipped when that story has been relayed to me <laughs> right it's not it's not in any of the of the children's bibles but uh in in our family it didn't matter how young you were you had to read the bible every day if you couldn't read because you were that young you had to listen to the bible on cassette oh tape i would literally fall asleep listening to the bible listening to these kinds of stories because the bible is horribly violent and oh my gosh it was so bad uh wow but the the kind of picture that i formed in my like hormonal teenage brain because my only source of sex ed was the bible uh, was that men do things to women often to like much younger women so the, I didn't have any concept of like consent or like mutual pleasure or enjoyment or any of that. I still had a very intense like fantasy life because I was a very, I guess, horny teenager. <laughs> um, we all were. <laughs> I mean, I was like, but I was, uh, I was taught that that was a thing that men were, not women. So I wasn't <laughs> supposed to have any desire, and I definitely wasn't supposed to uh, look at other women. Uh, <laughs> I actually didn't even know women could be gay until I was like, I don't know, around sixteen or seventeen, and then. I mean, of course, when I realized that was a thing, I was like, am I that thing? Uh, <laughs> but so all everything that I like fantasized about was like older men doing things to me without my consent. And I, I'm not alone in this. I've heard this from other, other fundy girls. That was like a safe fantasy for them to have because since they had no agency or no choice, it couldn't be a sin because they weren't, they weren't feeling pleasure and they weren't choosing it so i like rape fantasies are incredibly common from what i've heard from other wow. people at least the people who who choose to speak about it um and so to kind of spend your your teenage years thinking that that is what relationships are and then go to this completely different consent focused community is just it was just night and day <laughs> i'm glad that you found a community that's so that has such a focus on boundaries and consent and respect that you found that so soon after exiting is is really beautiful and i'm so happy that you had that in your life that's wonderful yeah, it was it was fortunate. And also Utah has an incredibly, I mean not right now because of the plague, but uh very active community and a rather large community considering like the size of the state and everything because the dominant religion of this state is also very repressive and purity culture based and everything and so you get a lot of uh of people turning away from that <laughs> and so you get you get some uh some really intense subculture here <laughs> i had no idea but that makes perfect sense 
I wanted to ask a little bit about realizing that you were queer and about coming out and what was that like with the the way that you were raised and kind of yeah what that what that process was now I see people talk about this mostly on TikTok and uh, and I find it hilarious because this is exactly how it was for me was when I started kind of I was very after I learned that like the LGBT community existed, which I think was thanks to the internet, I was immediately like fascinated and I was like, oh, I should learn more about this. And then I was like, oh, I, I support this. I'm, I'm an ally. <laughs> you know, the, the way it goes. And I'm just like, I'm an ally and I just really want to learn all that I can. So I'm going to watch every single YouTube video from every single queer creator that I can possibly find. Uh, and it maybe took a little too long to be like, oh, I'm so into this and learning about this because it's me. <laughs> I just really, really support all of these incredibly sexy people <laughs> and question none of that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I like that. I like that process. <laughs> so it was a slow realization because, like I said, I I didn't know that women could be gay for most of my life. Um, one time, I asked my mom what homosexuality was because I think I'd heard the term in like a sermon or something, and uh, she said it was when two men pretend to be married. <laughs> so that's and then that was it. No more discussion. Uh, so that's, I think she said like that it was bad, but that's all I had was like, oh, this is the thing that men do. <laughs> so I, I came out when I was 19 and, oh, so this was after I had left my mom's house for good. Yeah. So I didn't come out when I was, when I was at my mom's and I, I came out and I posted a, a video on Facebook of me literally coming out of the closet. It was very cringe uh, now, but <laughs> at the time I was like, I was like, this is me. And I was so excited to kind of discover this about myself. And I had already left my mom's house and had mentally left my religion and was basically planning on leaving behind everyone I had ever known. And so I was like, this is a great way to get people to leave my life. Because <laughs> if they hate queer people and I like come out, they're gonna like, I don't know, post something mean and then like block me. <laughs> and it'll be and it'll be perfect. There's a way for me to get the trash to take itself out. <laughs> right? And it was it was just it was kind of my way of just like starting my starting my new life. At the time I was unfortunately when my my mom did lose custody of my younger siblings and they moved in with my dad. And I hadn't talked to my dad since I was 12. And so I was like maybe I should reconnect with my dad. Let's see what that is about. And that's around the same time that I came out. And uh, it that didn't go so well. At this time, my, my dad had custody of my siblings. And I was kind of interested to get to know my dad. And I didn't want to like hide anything from him. So I was like, well, let's just be my very aggressively baby gay self and and he can either like be okay with it or not. And um I I guess I didn't know why I expected anything different. Uh I guess I was hoping for something different. But uh he never explicitly said like you're bad or you're going to hell 
or or even like you can't come over and see your siblings. He didn't explicitly say that, but he did say that I could not be alone with my siblings and that I could not hug them or like touch them in any way. And then I realized what he was implying that I was somehow a child molester because I was queer. And then I literally had no desire to see him ever again. Uh, and I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been about seven years since then. So, and he had any, even after I kind of ghosted him, he never texted me or reached out to me ever again. So that relationship, uh, I think it's always been non-existent, uh, but even, even me trying to make it happen, uh, did not go well that that i can laugh about that's one of the things that i do find kind of amusing even though it's horrible that that i can find humor in well and it's it's for the best too like you you were authentically yourself and you weren't you know like putting on a mask to like that i think like I'm like gonna say like some really unsolicited bullshit right now, but like I think like I would figure that at that point in your life that that was probably the healthiest decision to be like who you truly were, and even if it got like a ridiculous like prejudice response that you you got the honest answer about who he was and just yeah. sort of like okay we're done here yeah <laughs> for was- sure yeah no I don't I don't regret it like it's unfortunate that uh that that was the response but no I don't I don't regret it and I don't I don't regret kind of cutting because I just cut everyone out of my life that I knew previously and some of those people have now contacted me and we've kind of reconnected especially people who have just stumbled across my tiktoks and been like hey I knew that girl Oh, and a lot of them are great now and were even pretty great at the time. And I probably could have trusted them, but I didn't know who to trust. So I kind of just, just wrote off everybody (laughs) and was like, I have new friends and a new life now. How are you deconstructing and processing all of this? (laughs) Like what, like there's so, there's so much how how are you what's oh. what's your process like like how what are you doing how are you doing i mean there hasn't been much of a deliberate process uh thus far the like memories and stuff have come back very slowly uh probably you know that that was my brain's way of of helping me uh, because it was a struggle to like just live on my own for a while because you know I hardly made any money living with strangers I didn't have like a car or health insurance like I I stole a lot of the food that I ate like it was it was a a, a kind of rough way to live and so in my my brain was very focused on survival I didn't I didn't have time for any like reminiscing but now I am like comfortably married and like live in a a nice house and have cats and uh, it feels like such a luxury just to own cats (laughs) like (laughs) so my brain is like you're you're too comfortable here's some shit (laughs) um and yeah I'll just stuff will just and I'm I've been in therapy and I'm not in therapy right now because it's 
too expensive, sadly. Man. So I'm not going about things very deliberately or with professional help, unfortunately. But uh, I'm trying to take the little the little bits that I learned when I was in therapy and kind of take them with me. Right now, I just I really uh, just plunged into (laughs) memories because of TikTok. And I was inspired by I just saw someone another girl's video on Instagram, because I guess she posts in both places. And she was talking about growing up in a similar environment. And I was like, wait, are people because I I knew that there were blogs about it, because those were the ones that I'd read when I was 19. I was like, Oh, I know there are blogs about this. But now people are making videos. And so I got a TikTok account. And I just made I made like, three videos. And a lot of people watched them and a lot of people had questions. And so I just kept answering their questions. And it just kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, And now I don't even know what to do because there's too many questions. (laughs) It's almost at at a stressful level of like people who are watching, but the people who are commenting who have, who grew up similarly, it's like so amazing to find that community because it wasn't just me and my crazy family. Like it was awful cult leaders. And so there, of course there were other people following the same beliefs. And we've like now found each other on TikTok and it's crazy. But even they like remind me of stuff like, oh, this happened to me. And then I'll be like, wait, wait, I remember that. That happened to me too. Like it's just, it, it feels like one cycle of like reminding each other of stuff, which again, I hope is helpful. Um, I I think it has been helpful for me. It's also been like, it's been a lot. I'm not going to lie. It's been, it's a lot. Um, it's very overwhelming. Uh, I've been kind of, I mean, I've already, already tend to be a little bit of a, a recluse and now I'm like pandemic has like forced me to be even more of one. And so I've been, I've been anxious and I've been just, uh, dealing with a lot of stuff mentally, but, uh, you know, been doing the baths and the ice cream and the weed, (laughs) the the self-care things. Um, Whatever works. I mean, yeah. uh, Yeah. (laughs) So I, weirdly enough, just talking about things is helpful because it almost, when you say stories out loud, especially when you repeat the stories out loud kind of over and over again, as you get like similar questions or whatever, it almost starts to feel like, a story and feels disconnected from you. Yeah, it like removes that charge that it has. Yeah, in- instead of like just remembering something in my own head and then like having really strong emotions attached to it. And I, I'm still trying to figure out how this works. I don't, I hope this is a healthy way to do it. I don't know if I'm recommending this to other people. I'm not a, not a professional at all whatsoever. Uh, but it, yeah, it, it it turns into a story and like you can remember it and you can remember the facts and you can kind of repeat the facts but it starts to lose that like intense emotional connection in Mm -hmm. in a way at least it seems to have done for me because yeah now it it does feel disconnected like oh that and now I've also I have like years of distance and that helps so you can literally feel like it's like you were another person back then because you kind of were. So I've I've years of distance, but also I I 
think and hope that I'm building up some like emotional distance as well. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if if my focus is entirely like healing and moving on or whatever cuz at this point I have multiple goals which are like to relate to others and help others and spread awareness and uh, and some of these goals are in, in conflict with each other because I can't put out new memories every single day on the internet and still stay sane. <laughs> so, so I need to, you know, realize when I need to take a break. But this journey of kind of being more like very public <laughs> with some of the things that have gone on in my life has been overwhelmingly positive, even if there are, uh, you know, trolls. <laughs> there there will always be trolls. How do you deal with them? Recently on one video that I knew was going to be kind of contentious, I said, any unkind comment is getting deleted. And I had just deleted all the unkind comments. Nice. <laughs> Which uh, that, and sometimes I'll, I'll, you know, I, I kind of have a method now for disarming trolls. Sarcasm is a great way to respond. Even better if you can sarcastically quote the Bible. If they're like, <laughs> if they're if they're coming at you for like, you know, attacking their religion or whatever. Uh, oh, and oh, the disconnect between like, oh man, just I I will always be always be amazed at the. Like, I only have, you know, one story. I tell it one way, but the way people perceive it is going to be wildly different depending on who they are and how they perceive things. So I get at the same time uh, a lot of people who are like, wow, that's not real Christianity. Your parents were crazy. So sorry. Or or whatever. And then and then other people are like, how dare you attack Christianity? <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I thought your your brethren here have claimed it to not be Christianity. So either <laughs> so make up your mind, guys, is this or isn't it? But I think that's a, uh, you know, that's that's always been the question of <laughs> what is Christianity? That's why we have all these denominations and sects and cults going on. <laughs> I as as an outsider, I, I just kind of like sit back, like watch it, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but you all are very mad at each other. Oh, oh, no doubt, no doubt. I actually, <laughs> actually was, I did not have very strong feelings about Christians one way or the other before all this, but the people who, who claim to be Christian are the are the meanest online. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, potentially if, uh, if you want to be a good witness for your religion and your God, you should probably be the kindest person on the internet. Maybe strive for that. Uh, but I suppose if I am a, a lost cause in their eyes, then there's no point in being kind to me because I'm going to hell anyway. That would have been my mindset, at least when I was back in, in that world. I was in one of your lives and somebody showed up and said like some very like preachy like condemnation things at you and my first response was like oh, a troll like should I defend them like I, like should I like my fingers were itchy I was like wait 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 
people handle trolls in their own way. Like, don't touch it. Don't touch it. And you handled it, like, in such an incredible way. I was so blown away because you you were like, I actually can't tell if this is a troll or not. You said, like, I can't tell if you're saying the things, like, that that's how you were raised and you're, like, repeating like acknowledging that it was toxic or or if you're actually saying those things to me like I don't I don't actually know yeah which it's it like is. crossed I, it's crossed was, the line into like I can't tell if this is sarcasm or or genuine because it's, <laughs> it's like repent for your evil ways the the end is nigh I'm just like this could or very like, easily be sarcasm and blah 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 and I was like and then you were like I don't even know if you're like I, I can't tell and that like that statement right there was so funny to me and <laughs> I loved it I loved it I do it's nice to especially in like a live environment I know that like most people are there because they want to to watch me or like support me so if if a troll pops in by accident making jokes about them is the best and then you know if they continue you just block them <laughs> easy peasy i think people hop on because they and tiktok sometimes just feeds you random lives so i think people just see my face and they feel the need to tell me about jesus just because i look queer which is which i always i was like that's weird that like or 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 be like you fucking liberal or something and i'm like but you don't follow me or know me or is it just the haircut (laughs) (laughs) it's just the haircut and uh and then (laughs) and then it happened to me in real life oh god uh i this happened just like last week and i it was so upsetting to me um like someone just came up to me in a parking lot, like a man came up to me in a parking lot and I was alone, like putting my groceries in my car. Mm. And he was like, I just want to tell you that, that God loves you. And I could tell that like, you've had issues in the past, like with your, with your father, like he was, he was bullshitting, but like I reaching. Yeah. Well, no, because I used to like be with groups of people who would do that like go to public places and just pretend that you know something about somebody and that that knowledge is coming from God and it's God that's telling you to like speak to this person that that's that's a like evangelizing tactic and I knew that but even though I knew it and I had literally been there at one point I didn't know how to respond and I just got uh, really upset and was like, I don't want to be unkind, but I am not interested. And I, and coming up to strangers like this isn't very nice. And I just like got in my car and like, like shook and had like a, a big old like panic response. Oof. And then at, as I was driving home, I was like, it was because of my hair, wasn't it? <laughs> Like, I saw him in the store, like, glancing at me, and I didn't think anything of it. And then he's, like, waiting for me in the parking lot. I'm like, he picked me out because I look queer. And this isn't just, like, random people on the internet. It happens in fucking real life. And it just made me very upset. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Jeez. Does that, like, does that happen a lot in Utah? No, actually. Well, yeah, yes. Mormons do it, but at least the Mormons wear like uniforms, so you know who they are. 
And well, the Mormon Mormon missionaries. <laughs> yeah, you can see them coming. The Mormon missionaries, yes, will will just randomly stop you and try to get you into conversations about God. That's that's their whole thing. That's their whole job. That's what they're there to do. So yes, Mormon missionaries will do that, and I've had that that kind of conversation. But it's less triggering for me to talk to a Mormon missionary because. I didn't come from their religion. I don't have trauma based around their religion. And they're literally like kids, like they're 19 year olds. And now I've learned more about Mormonism from TikTok. Um, they have like, yeah, like their mission is their whole life for years. They even have like, they have limited communication with their own family. It's actually, and I, I don't want to talk a whole lot about it because I don't want to say anything that's not true, but by accident, but uh, now that I kind of understand where they're coming from more, I have a lot of compassion for them, actually, because they're brainwashed, if I may be so blunt. Yeah. But but somebody who who I don't know at all, not identifying themselves as a missionary, just like that kind of just random. And I've never known Mormons to lead with God loves you and I and God is telling me something about you and I can tell that you've had issues and that that is an evangelical mindset that reminds me of how I grew up that I've never heard a, a Mormon missionary talk like that so I I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this guy was not Mormon so that that's not super common in Utah because the Mormons are the the dominant religion or the LDS church uh I suppose if I've offended them by saying Mormon too often the uh, too bad. <laughs> but you, you can have respect for individual people, but I don't have any respect for the the church as a whole, the organization. I, I think that's like a good place to land, to be honest, because like the, the organizations themselves are doing a lot of harm. Like and that I, I fall the same way with countries. Like I will criticize governments. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that everyone who lives in that country is bad. <laughs> but, yeah, and I think that's an you know like the the organizations, the power structures making that distinction, and then understanding that the people who are you know subject to it uh, are separate uh, in certain ways. And then yeah, so oh, yeah, or, organized religion and talking about it is like a whole kettle of fish. And I totally understand. <laughs> it is. You're you're gonna piss somebody off no matter. Always. If you're t- if you're too nice, you might piss off a a big old atheist. Or if you're, I mean, even though I technically am one because I don't believe there's a god, <laughs> but I also don't feel the need to uh, make other people atheist as well. Like I'm not, I don't think that there's one right way to be. I think everyone should, you know, decide for themselves what is best for them. But that also that does include everyone making a choice, like as free-thinking adults. Uh, And that's not how most of us choose religion. Most of us grow up in a religion and we we either leave and maybe become agnostic or atheist because that religion was toxic to us, or we we stay in that religion. Like I it's more uncommon for someone to grow up one way and then convert to a a totally different religion, at least in in my experience. Um, yeah. I think I think if people grew up without religion and then, you know, you're like, you're 20, pick a religion. I, I don't think people would pick religion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, I come across a lot of some of them call themselves like recovering Christians or like recovering Catholics in uh, witchcraft and paganism. Mm-hmm. 
so much of that and and it's uh it's it's a very different mindset and um but like a whole different conversation and and people coming from very different places than you know maybe someone who was either like raised in a in a in a pagan tradition or uh or came to it with like an empty glass and like never having even really uh interacted with any of the the dominant culture stuff you know besides the the just the fact that we were all exposed to it to a certain degree because like Christianity is, you know, like the, the dominant religion in, in America. But um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I just uh, have, have more and more problems as, as time goes by and I read more sad stories from people uh, because something about sharing your story is that other people uh, share theirs in response, which is wonderful, but then can also be overwhelming. Uh, (laughs) The more and more kids that I see who were who were terrified of like biblical concepts or who had nightmares, who were afraid of, you know, just any you pick your Bible story. And I've had five comments from someone who was scared of it. And it doesn't even have to be the more violent or like egregious stories. It could be a more more simple story that they're still afraid of. I'm just like this. None of this is healthy why do we think that this is good like uh and i wish i wish we could disconnect an idea of like god and love and morals and like i i think all of that is is great and can be great why do we have to connect it with literally an an ancient collection of texts full of violent history that's something that like that scholars should should study but not for little kids you know (laughs) yeah I love I love that you mentioned morality because when I we we have family who are extremely catholic like very very catholic uh like my my partner like grew up Boston Irish like Catholic. And he went to their house and he was like, oh, they're like really Catholic, like palm leaves on the, you know, like on the, then like pictures of the Pope and of like Mother Teresa and, you know, and and the mother is like touched Mother Teresa's robes and like, it's like prayer circles before with like the priest in the house before like Christmas Eve dinner, like very Catholic. And it was always a very strong culture shock to me. And I, I remember like my mother saying that as, you know, she and, and this family member were like raising their children we, and like our our cousins were like similar ages to us uh they would have like mother to mother conversations and she said that this family member was always very concerned about the fact that my sister and I were being raised with no religion because in her mind it meant that we were that we had no moral code that she was concerned that we were being raised without morals or ethics because in her mind, religion was tied to morality. And like, it was difficult for her to grasp, like, no, no, no. I'm like, I'm raising my kids with a lot of morals, very heavy on the moral code, lots of ethics, lots of like that, that it's possible to have morality or ethics, strong ones too, with no religion that, you don't need religion in order to be a good and moral person. 
And that was like never really like she never understood. And at least not completely, uh, even though she was reassured, like, I don't think she ever fully believed it to the point that like, when I started practicing Buddhism, even though it wasn't like Christianity, that made her more comfortable because then it was like, maybe possible that like, I had, at least I had some, some morals, like, even if they were strange to her, I had some morals in there. And and that was, uh, that was always interesting. (laughs) And, uh, and it is something that I come across, quite a bit is is the the thought from a religious people that people who have no religion must not have any morals and i have bumped up against this a lot i feel like it's common to hear people say like well without the bible we would all insert religion here without this religion we would all be murdering each other and we wouldn't know any better <laughs> and i'm like wait is that how you feel without without your your god would you be murdering right now because that's saying a lot about you. <laughs> yeah, and that always yeah. kind of freaks me out. Like if you would feel free to just murder people, uh, except that your God said no, then, uh, then uh, I don't know what to, what you to say murder about all you and your own. Bro. Yeah. I, I know like that, that says something about you and it isn't good. Um, <laughs> and that's another thing that kind of uh, led me away from religion was feeling like I had higher morals than the god of the bible because <laughs> the god of the bible could have explicitly said like no slavery uh but he didn't <laughs> he was like here's how you should treat your slaves like decently which you know is it's you know positive i suppose in a way if you're in a culture that, where you treat your slaves terribly but maybe have no slaves maybe that would yeah. be better he could have said like don't rape women Women are great, but he didn't. <laughs> In fact, he literally commands a lot of rape. Uh, and so I was like, I I feel morally superior to this, this being that these stories are about. Uh, and you can't worship something that you feel uh, superior to. That's not how it works. Yeah. No, but you need God, Scott. I'm good. I think I got it. I got it. <laughs> And I know there's a zillion responses people can have like, oh, but that was like, it was a different time. And like, you forget the context and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, that's, that's fine. I'm just saying there is an absence of these very simple commands that could have made the world a much better place. They're not, they're not in there. So much could be said. So much could be said. I know. <laughs> just trying and I'm, not, we're trying not to get yelled at. <laughs> I know. I'm not a Bible a Bible scholar. I can't read in the original Hebrew or Greek or all the languages. But I've just someone who read it over and over and over and over again. <laughs> I'm always interested to hear about the translation issues that have happened, uh, like along the way of translating it from not not just from the original Hebrew, um, but like mistranslations in that process, and then carrying over into like every successive language and and just all the misunderstandings and then you have groups of people who are like who want to take it literally who are really mm-hmm. into adhering to literally what the bible says and aren't actually doing that because of words not meaning what they think they do and so it's uh, it's it's interesting yeah that's where that's where i was I've spoken a little bit about how like my 
mother interpreted this verse this way. Like the, the ver, now I can't quote it anymore because, uh, don't have it memorized like I used to. Because <laughs> I would have to memorize like verses and even like whole chapters. But there's a verse that says, teach these things to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you lie down and when you get up and when you walk along the way. And my parents interpreted that as meaning every bit of the day must be filled with religious instruction and you can't go to school because how could every bit of your day be filled with religious instruction if you're at school? So that verse was like a big reason why we were so isolated and so inundated with religious material. And then I talked about it on online. And then a whole lot of Jewish people were in my comments being like, I can't believe that they misinterpreted that that way. That's not what it means at all. That's not what it means to me. Because I guess that's a verse that the Jewish people are taught from a from a very young age. And it's and it means something totally different. It's just supposed to be like your own personal like uh sense of like reverence to God or or whatever. I may I may be I don't want to mischaracterize someone else's belief. So uh, my apologies if I've said something wrong there. But it doesn't mean keep your children captive and feed them religious material 24/7. Like that's not what it means to most people. But when you, you know, when you have such a large book with such a variety of content, you could take any verse and make it say whatever you want it to say. It's not even one book. It's a it's just a collection of ancient history and poetry and letters that some guy wrote like <laughs> Well, and a lot of a lot of different guys. Well, yes, I, I was thinking of the Apostle Paul. He wrote a lot, but <laughs> oh, yes, yes, he did. Um, yeah, I like I I could go into like a whole thing. I'll like I'll I'll backtrack and say none of what I was about to say, and instead oh. just just say like how exciting it is that uh, that the internet exists and that we're all able to connect and learn from each other. And like across across country lines and cultural lines and religious lines and actually like share information with each other and just how beautiful that is. Like I like I'm I'm 35. I remember a world before the internet. And as as messy as everything is, on the whole, I'm continuously excited by the connection that it continues to make possible. Oh, yeah. Same here. I would not be where I am today with the amount of knowledge and kind of view of the world that I have now at all. If it wasn't for the internet, I would probably still be in my tiny bubble. I'd probably have like four kids by now, (laughs) like (laughs) with some man that I was like halfway arranged married to. Like if I didn't have the means to like learn more, I yeah, I would be stuck. All hail the internet. <laughs> Thank great, you. Great <laughs> bringer of wisdom and misinformation. <laughs> if anybody knows any children who are in cult situations, how can people best support or help them? So I, again, not an expert, but just someone who, who experienced stuff in my life, the most helpful people 
were were the adults who took notice of what what was happening. I feel like that's step one is just be observant and kind of know the signs that someone might be in a, a really restrictive or, or abusive environment. And if you are a very di- a different kind of person and not in that environment, that's already a great sign because that means that they know somebody outside of their environment and they know you. And a lot of these kind of insular cult teachings teach that people outside the group are are somehow bad or evil. And so if you can be the most like kind person to this to this kid it does a just a little bit of deprogramming each time realizing that like outsiders are are good and kind cuz this outsider is more practically the the people who helped me the most were people who stayed friends with my parents even though they didn't agree with them uh, and that can be a really hard thing. And so I, that might not be something that everyone can do. I, I know I don't want to go make friends with a fundy parent. Um, but <laughs> the the people who actually like stood up to my parents and were like, I, I don't know exactly how the conversation went, but I assume something like, you really shouldn't do this anymore. Or like, I think this isn't great. The, we never saw those people again. They were just immediately cut out of our lives. And so they tried to help, but they weren't able to because they were just cut out. Uh, and so the people who helped more were people who kind of played nice and pretended that they were okay while still giving the kids like attention and maybe a gift every now and then, or just like inviting the kids over to someone else's house and like seeing the way someone else's live. And I get it, it can be weird because like, if you're an adult and someone else is a child and like, you can't be like, well, come to my house, child. Like, (laughs) so it, it, that can be difficult. If my, my, it's easier if a person has kids themselves, honestly, if you have like little kids, you can ask an older kid to babysit your kids. And that's not, and that's not weird. And they can be in your house and get to exist in a different space than their really restrictive environment. They can have time away. They can earn money, which is a big source of freedom is just, just having little bits of money. And if you're, maybe your kids are the same age, your families can be friends. That's, that's how a lot of people were able to help in little ways was like, our families are buds now. And, and my kids are, are friends with your kids. And how about your kids come over for a sleepover? Like, Stuff like that was really helpful to me and just subtly opening my mind up to to more and more things. It can be really hard to help kids who aren't 18 yet. Like that's, it's really hard. I think it's important for kids to know that like, that someone is there for them. Like if you ever need to talk about anything, like I'm here to talk. I can, you can, but of course you have to walk that line of not making it creepy. Like you can't be like, you can tell me anything, little girl. Like it's, again, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't go there. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm trying to give practical advice, but all I can think of is like, this is really hard. Like it can be a hard thing to do to help someone. Once someone turns 18, you have a lot more options. Like the family who helped me literally like be like, Hey, you come live with me. Would you like that? I have a space for you. Or people coming out of really restrictive environments might need help getting things like 
birth certificates, driver's licenses, GEDs, like, and all that stuff costs money too. And so literally just giving people money is extremely helpful. And uh, transportation is a thing too. Like I didn't have a car for years and it was hard to get around on public transportation when I got out. Yeah, there's, there's a plethora of things, but it is, I wish I had more suggestions for, for when kids are younger. I guess my, my main thing is to just, just be kind and do whatever you can without alienating the, the family. Thank you so much for talking about that. Cause it's, um, like, I'm not an expert yet either, but it sounds like extremely good advice to me. And I think a lot of us might not have ever thought about it. And, uh, and if you find yourself in that situation, I think a lot of us would gravitate towards saying something. And then, as you said, now your opportunity to help those kids has disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also the kind of the opposite reaction that we would get even more with people we went to church with would just be like, oh, well, those guys are a little weird, but they're fine. And kind of ignore us. And that's, yeah, that's not great either. One time I straight up heard from a youth pastor whose literal job was to like, you know, minister to the youths. She told me if I I thought if you guys needed help, you would ask me. And I was so kerflummoxed by that because I was like, you're expecting kids to like, have the guts and the wherewithal to be like, I am being harmed in X, Y, Z ways. No, we don't know. Like, we don't even know what's happening to us as it's happening. We just know that we're sad or scared or whatever. But especially if we're we're in a really kind of isolated space, we don't even know that what's going on with us isn't normal. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's so I, th- that, yeah. So I think that's a big thing is just letting kids know in whatever fashion that there are other kinds of normal out there that their their world isn't the only one that exists and there are other worlds and potentially better worlds out there they they can have a different life they want to like in the in the future they don't have to follow everything that they were brought up with i'm just seeing that other other people who live in different ways like maybe aren't evil yes no one thousand percent yeah that yeah. Yeah. When when you're taught that like other other people are are going to hell or whatever, that was a big thing with my grandparents that I prayed for every night because they were going to hell, but they were nothing but lovely to us and giving us presents and money and opportunities while never alienating my parents because they knew that they would never see us again. So they they walked that line excellently. They, of course, they had kind of an in because they were family and it's not creepy to, to, you know, hang out with your grandparents with no other kids around. But yeah, if you're a family member of someone, you have that extra in of not really having to navigate that, like being a, being a creepy stranger who's interested in like hanging out with kids because you're family. But yeah, the best things that they did for us were give us presents. They gave us like science books and money and they were on good enough terms that we got to visit them every summer and they would take us to the zoo and like museums and out to eat and everything that we didn't get at home we got to have for a week or two with my grandparents and so that was and they never talked we never talked about religion never talked about like never asked us questions about what's going on at home they never 
said to my parents, like, well, maybe kids should be in school or like they never, ever did that, at least to my knowledge. They were just like, we love you. We love you unconditionally. We think you would enjoy this. That was enough to be a to be a big help. And do you have anything that you want to say to the survivors that are that are listening? Just knowing that you're not alone is like is the most amazing thing. It's kind of also heartbreaking because you don't want anyone else to have gone through similar things. Uh, but uh, literally, I feel like no one on earth is unique anymore. <laughs> I mean, we're unique, but like our experiences, someone else has experienced the same thing as you. Other people like you exist. Other people have survived and thrived and you can too. And you can also take it at your own pace. I don't think I've been extremely successful in life so far. I can't say that like, yes, I have a PhD now and I am am ultra wise. Like I struggle to get through every single day. (laughs) But that's okay too. Well, and success is, yeah, like what does that even mean? I mean... Yeah, We're exactly. Having some very intense conversations and deconstructing and getting up in the morning. Yeah, success is relative. My success was getting stable enough housing that I could own a cat. <laughs> yeah. Is it is it but, Nacho that's with you right now? Yes, yes, it's Nacho. <laughs> Nacho is success. <laughs> Honestly, I I guess the advice that I want isn't like, you're valid, you're not alone. The advice I want is kind of like, don't beat yourself up because you're struggling. If you're struggling, it's for a reason. It's because of trauma. And so it's okay to actually have crappy days and not be able to function. (laughs) Just that it's okay. Like, I always feel the need to like, succeed and achieve and go above and beyond but that's really not necessary like just just existing and reaching small goals is perfectly fine my goal is to just be happy most of the time that's that's my only goal and whatever i need to do to achieve that I just think what would make me happy right now, if, if I'm feeling down, what would make me happy right now? Is it ice cream? Then I'm going to go eat ice cream <laughs> and not restrict myself from ice cream. Do I need to go on a walk? Like just kind of asking myself what I need in a moment when I'm feeling poorly and I feel poorly quite regularly. <laughs> But and there's no there's no point at which I mean, not that I've experienced thus far. uh, There's no point at which you like all all of it is behind me now. The trauma is done. I have checked the boxes and succeeded. It's like a big it's like a, a backpack full of bricks that you need to learn to carry around. And it sucks. But there's like little things you can do to maybe make it a little lighter or lift weights and get get stronger so it's easier to carry like but it's always going to it's always going to be there but you'll you'll think of it less and less it'll bother you less and less as time goes on i would also recommend therapy because you know do as i say and not as i do <laughs> <laughs> thank you that was that like that does need to be said and thank you for saying it 
That felt intense to say, because I think I just realized I'm just giving myself all the advice that I wish I heard more. <laughs> That's There's a lot of that going on in this podcast. So like, there's a lot of it going on. Yeah. On both, on like on all sides. <laughs> the first thing I um, thought of was like, you're valid and you're not alone. But I'm like, that's not what like gets to me or anymore or what I need to hear anymore. I need to hear that it's okay if, if, if every evening you come home and kind of lay in a puddle and achieve like one or two things like that's okay. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that as well as is like, Hey, this is an okay amount. Like you, <laughs> Like you are not a failure because you're traumatized. Like you're you're healing and you're not worthless because you can't do the things that maybe other people can do easily. Like and there's mm-hmm. so much intersection with like being neurodivergent as well, and it's just so much fun. So much fun. But the whatever whatever way you can manage to live and find some joy is okay. (laughs) Yeah. As long as you're not hurting anybody. Like, yeah, yeah. That's a given, but yeah, whatever you don't have to live up to anybody's expectations. Even, even I put on like, like a good face and like, I only make TikTok videos when I'm feeling my best. Most of the rest of the time, I'm not all like coherent and thoughtful and like whatever I appear or skilled or whatever I appear to be is like a a small sliver of me. A lot of the time I am like sad and hugging my cat. I so appreciate you joining me and uh, and sharing so much of your story and so much of yourself. And it it, it means a lot to me. Like I'm so beyond thrilled. I was so nervous reaching out to you and I'm like so excited that you were willing to join me. Thank you. Well, it's, it's really amazing for me to just feel like people out there care. And I, I don't know. I, th- this feels very special for, for me too. <laughs> Yay. I just feel like one one little one little person out here but if I can if I can talk and and anyone else out there can relate or feels understood or seen or or informed or entertained or whatever if anyone else feels anything then like then I feel like I've been successful. That's exactly how I feel and and exactly why I started doing this. <laughs> So thank you. Thank you for for being a part of it and joining me. And I hope that literally everyone who listens to this episode goes and visits your TikTok because it's incredible. So thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. And also half of it is just silly memes. So don't expect it to all be serious. That's like half of how people communicate now. So I think that's a good thing. And also like <laughs> laughter is such an important part of healing trauma. And and it's a part of it that I I feel doesn't get talked about enough. So I'm like, I don't I, I'm like really down with silly memes. I'm really I, down. I, I love me some some joking about trauma. Like humor is great. <laughs> <laughs> 
should have mentioned that earlier to uh, to fellow survivors. <laughs> if you, if humor is your thing, make jokes about it. <laughs> I don't know. Yes, that's yes. my particular coping mechanism. It's mine too. Dark humor, yay! Hi ho, join me. <laughs> so this has been wonderful, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you reached out. I'm so happy you answered. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Please check episode notes. There you will find a selection of links to some of Anna's TikTok videos. I truly hope you'll give them a watch and give her a follow. You'll also find a link to the Coalition for Responsible Home Education. And I encourage you to click on that and learn more about homeschooling laws and statistics. Please consider educating yourself about the laws in your state and consider taking action locally by signing petitions, contributing, or contacting representatives to help ensure that homeschooling isn't being misused to deprive children of an education or to conceal abuse. Major update, I now have a Patreon. You can join at various tiers to not only keep the podcast alive, but to gain access to all sorts of exclusive behind-the-scenes posts, pics, clips, and even the occasional video episode. Tier 1 membership is only $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee per episode, and it would be a game-changer for me. More content becomes possible and available as people join, so I hope to see you there and that you'll help me take this next big step with Finding Okay. I also want to give you an update on the Letters for the Fire project. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, I've invited listeners to write a letter to their abuser and send it to me. Instructions for that can be found in my blog. I am receiving your letters, and thank you so much for sending them. What I've decided to do is devote an entire episode to the letters at the end of the season. Time is winding down and the deadline is approaching. Please try to get your letters to me by the end of December. If you included a personal note to me with your letter, I will write back to you. And I just want to let you know that I love you. And as soon as I have the spoons, I will get back to you. I'll be keeping you updated on the project along the way. A special shout out to Jack, Chie, Metal X, Goodry Boy, and my partner for their recent podcast contributions. None of this would be possible without you. Thank you also to Emily for your recent five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference and helps more people find the show. Thank you, and I'm so happy to hear that this has been helping you in your own healing process. Air horns all around. Thank you so much for listening. Please visit the podcast website, www.finding-ok.com. It's where you can find all the links to my social media. It's where the new blog is. It's where you can learn more about me and all my guests. It's where you can read reviews, leave reviews, contact me. It's also where you can find links to donate. There is also a private Finding OK Facebook group for survivors, and you are welcome there. Finding OK is crowdfunded, and it is listener support that is keeping the podcast alive during the pandemic. If you can't afford to donate or become a member on Patreon, one of the best ways you can support the show is by reviewing and sharing online or by word of mouth.
Thank you again for listening. This has been Finding Okay. Black Lives Matter. Take care of yourself. Keep on pointing and hold on and hold on. Hold on for your life. I was like, fake, fake end. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me, let me hit stop.